Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast. And I'm your host. Okay, come on. You guys know who I am already, right? I mean, I've been doing this thing for the past... God, this is episode 15. And, hey, if you don't know who I am, if it's your first time listening, my name is Dave Roman. I'm sure you saw that when you downloaded the the podcast from whatever your favorite podcast host is or, or service provider. But you know what? I'm very excited to be back behind the microphone. And there's a lot to get to that I want to talk about. In this particular episode, I'm going to talk about the AMA, which is Ask Me Anything, that I saw on Reddit earlier this week, uh, put out by Travis Stevens. For those who may not know, Travis Stevens won the silver medal in the Olympics in uh, for for the under 81 kilogram division for judo. I'm going to be talking about other news and notes. There's some housekeeping things I want to get to, some email or reaction. I always love those. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the statistics for the Baku Grand Slam that was held uh, last weekend. I, I didn't have a chance to get into all the matches that I wanted to get into. So I'm going to do a little bit of a breakdown on that. But uh, but but first, I have a special announcement to make. In a couple of weeks, I would say over the weekend of April 8th, I'm going to have my very first co-host for the Judo Chop Suey podcast. His name is Judo Joe Kaiser. And we are going to be doing a podcast. He's going to come over to this esteemed studio that I have, which is not much of a studio at all. And we're going to talk a little bit about judo. We're going to talk some Brazilian jiu-jitsu. We're going to talk about what's been going on in his life lately. And we're just going to talk about judo topics, except we're, I'm going to have a, a different voice to bounce things off of. And, and he's going to give me his feedback. And hopefully it'll make for a really entertaining show. But I'm really excited to have my friend Joe join me on the podcast. I, it's not something that we can do all the time, but it's something that I would like to have. So consider this more like a... He's going to be a guest co-host, and it's not something that I'm going to have uh, long-term, like like not every episode from here on out, I'm going to have a co-host, but every once in a while, I want to be able to mix it up and, and, and get some, some fresh blood in here since you guys are too much of cowards to send me your voicemails to my email address, which is judochopsuishow at gmail.com. I'm just kidding. You guys aren't cowards, but I'm still waiting for those those voice memos to come into my inbox so I can play them and we could all have a good laugh. But in lieu of that, I'm going to have a co-host here. I'm really excited for that. He's going to be coming over the weekend of, of April 8th and we're going to we're, we're, we're going to record a podcast for you guys and, and hopefully you'll enjoy it. I'll, I'll certainly promote this in, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu circles because he's a He's a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and he's an EQ, technically speaking, he's an EQ in Judo, but he's another one of those guys that's kind of fallen through the cracks. I believe that he he deserves his showdown. He was about to get his showdown, and then unfortunately, uh, a, a tragedy struck really for the both of us, and we'll get into that uh, when he joins the program, but, but he's a friend of mine. He's been a former training partner. I wish I could say he was a current training partner, but he's doing his own thing in jiu-jitsu. I think he's doing a little bit of no-gi slash catch wrestling. So I'm really excited to have him on the podcast. I can't wait. 
I know he's excited to be a part of it. And and together, we hopefully that we can put together a, a halfway decent program for you guys. Um, I, On another topic, I want to remind you guys that in two weeks, two weeks, if any of you guys can tell me what movie that came from, I'll send you a dollar. No lie. I will send you a dollar. No friends and family count. You could tell me where I got that quote from. I'll send you a dollar. My first giveaway of the Judo Chop Suey podcast. Anyway, in two weeks, I'm going to WrestleMania. And I'm getting really excited about this. I've got my Roman Reigns t-shirt. Oh, there, there is, there's his music. And right on cue are the boos. And I can't wait because I'm going to proudly wear my Roman Reigns t-shirt. He's one of my favorite wrestlers. Not because his first name is Roman and my last name is Roman. I just love the fact that for whatever reason, everybody hates Roman Reigns. And I'm going to be sitting there with my buddy Matt. I'm going to be saying, oh my God, it's Roman Reigns. It's Roman Reigns, Matt. Can you believe it? Yeah, that's going to be me while people are throwing their beer at me while I'm screaming up and down while everybody's booing. Just like you're hearing with his entrance music right now, all the boos. That's how it's going to be. And I'm going to be the opposite. I get, You could call that trolling. You could go whatever you want to call it. Um, just getting a reaction. It doesn't matter to me. I'm really looking forward to WrestleMania. And now Roman Reigns is going to be fighting The Undertaker. And not only that, but he's going to have to contend with The Undertaker's dong as you're hearing it right now. Now, if you, for you guys who don't follow wrestling, The Undertaker and his dong has been terrorizing opponents for 25 years. And I think this is going to be his last match and the last time we're ever going to see The Undertaker and, and hear that dong. Uh, reverberate and, and intimidate people in the arena and, and, and the wrestlers on the roster. So, you know, you know, I remember watching the Survivor Series that he debuted on. I believe it was 1992. I would have been about 16, uh, 17 at the time, something like that. And I, he was a phenomenal athlete, and he's had a remarkable career. This may very well be the end. So. I anticipate Roman Reigns winning this match because if he loses to a legend, then what's that going to say about Roman Reigns moving forward? I really don't know, but I'm going to guess Roman Reigns is going to win this match and and silence The Undertaker and, and, and contend with his dong one last time because, because that's what needs to happen if Roman Reigns is going to continue being a... Uh, a marketable star in the WWE. So that's going to be in two weeks, which means that I will not be doing a podcast that weekend, which means you have plenty of time to listen to James Austin's original judo podcast, which hopefully he'll have a new episode up, but he's got a very good podcast. I've mentioned it last week on my other podcast, uh, not my other podcast, my last episode. I don't have another podcast. On my last episode, and he's got a very good podcast. Hopefully, by the time uh, he gets to recording, a, uh, he gets to recording a new podcast. It'll be around the time that that I'm I'm going to be off the air. So you guys have judo content, and he's not doing me any favors. I'm not begging him to do another podcast just because I'm not doing one. I want him to do as many podcasts as possible. In fact, if any of you guys want to do your own podcast, hey, have a crack at it. Go right ahead because. 
That's all I did. I had my phone. I turned on the voice memo. And I started talking for 15 minutes and I turned it off. That was episode one of this podcast. So it it doesn't take much to do a podcast. I'm telling you, any any buffoon with a microphone can do a podcast and, and upload it somewhere and people download it and listen to it. I'm telling you, I'm the biggest buffoon of them all. So if I can do a podcast, you can do a podcast and you could probably do a better job than I can. But until that happens, you got me, you got James Austin. I think there's another podcast out there. I, I'm not quite sure what it is, but but uh, I hopefully I've started a trend and that would be pretty cool. Listener email. I'm starting to get really excited about some of the emails that I get. I love I love the interaction with you guys. I can't read them all, but I do read what I can read. And I certainly want to get to some of the questions that you guys have and some of the reactions. So let me knock that out of the way before I get to some of the topics at hand. You know, like I talked about some news related to uh, going on in the judo world, plus my thoughts and reactions to the, the Baku Grand Slam. So here's an email that I received on Facebook. And if you need a reminder, my Facebook page can be found. If you do a search for Judo Chop Suey Podcast, you'll, you'll be able to find it very easily. So the question on this was, Hi Dave, I'm wondering whether you have any opinions on Uchikomi bands as a training aid. Seems like they'd be useful for strengthening arms and shoulders and for more effective Surikomi. Uh, let's see if there's any more to this message. The way that I can see this. Okay, no, 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 no. So that, that's it. So here's my, I did respond to him. But here's my thoughts on Uchikomi bands. I love them. I think they're a great training aid and I use them. They were critical, critical in my judo development. But the bands that I used were actually uh, physical therapy bands. They're, they're called these bands. They're called TheraBands and they come in this little box. And in this box, they are in this roll. So what I used to do was... I would pull out the amount of TheraBands that I want and then cut them down to size. I would just pull out like, you know, let's say I'd pull out maybe maybe uh, 10 feet worth of bands and or actually probably l- longer than that because I used to double up the band. So, so this is what I did. I, I would pull out the band, cut them down, and then I would wrap them around this punching bag that I had, this weighted punching bag that where the water weight was on the bottom. So the punching bag wasn't hanging. It was standing up vertically and it had this water base. So I would wrap the band around that and it allowed me to do forward throws and rear throws. And these bands had enough uh, tension that they would not break on me, but they still gave me enough of a enough tension so that when I when I did my lifting pulls, the water, the, the, the punching bag would actually pull forward. So I did not use Uchikomi bands for strength and conditioning. I used them to work through the motions for certain forward throws or throws to the rear. I was able with this punching bag since it was standing on the stand, I was able to in some ways practice uh Throws to the rear like Osorogari or at least the Uchikomi to it. And I, I tell you, it was critical to my judo development. However, like so many other things that you hear, and this is very common advice and I agree with it. I think pure beginners should stay away from Uchikomi on, uh, by themselves at the home unless they really have that throw 
whatever they're practicing nailed down. By the time I started incorporating Uchikomi bands, I was already uh, a Sankyu. And and I was with my second coach, who was who was really my main judo coach, and so so he was able to give me pointers, and he had me set in the right direction. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that I knew exactly what I was doing, and when I would do this uchikomi practice, I would record myself and see what kind of mistakes I may or may not be making with the Uchikomi. I would record myself on my, even even way back then, the, the mobile phone thing was kind of a new thing. So I think I had an original Galaxy, the, 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 the Galaxy 1. So I would record myself and then look at myself and see if my timing, if my entry, if my hands were all wrong, if everything just looked wrong or right. And I would make corrections on the fly. And I spent... I spent hours doing uchikomi. I mean, not 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 on on you know one particular day. I wouldn't sit there out there for two hours, but I would spend sometimes forty five minutes out there doing uchikomi and practicing every single day. I did uchikomi on those bands along with with practicing at um, you know at the club. Which you know, when I tell people how fast I got my shodan, they are very surprised. You know, when I tell them. Well, I got my shodan in about four years. That seems awfully fast, and it really is awfully fast. But if you were to include all the hours that I was on the mats and all the hours that I spent training, I would venture to guess the total hours spent on the mats by the time I got my shodan was anywhere between twelve to 1,400 hours, which on to average for an adult... Usually it's around 1,600 hours So by the time you get showed on. So amount of years don't matter. You, could, you can get a showed on in a year. You, you could be good enough to be a, a showed on in a year if you, you know, worked out 40 hours a week or 30 hours a week. You know what I mean? It, it's not about years. It's about hours on the mat. So Uchikomi practice was a big reason why I developed very quickly, relatively speaking. Now, I don't have that punching bag anymore. It... it it popped a hole in the bottom and I threw it out. And I don't really do much Uchikomi, static Uchikomi practice anymore. I prefer doing moving Uchikomi. I prefer doing Uchikomi in like a Rondori setting. Those type of practices is is where I take my... I, I For me at this point, unless I'm learning a new throw or or unless I'm training myself to be to do a left-sided throw, let's say, which is a very weak side for me, I think static uchikomi for me is largely a waste of time. I I can do that doing other things. So let's see. You got another message here. Hey Dave, can you? Let's see what it says. I think an episode or part of an episode covering what Travis said in his AMA today. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna get to the AMA. So let let me take a look at some of the email here. Uh, there are some pretty good email. I gotta I gotta I I, I won't say his name, but um. Let's see. First off, great podcast. I'm a big podcast fan in general and able to listen to somebody who discusses judo is really refreshing to me. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I just wanted to give a different perspective in regards to comments you made about Superstar Judo Review. Uh, I stated or you stated that you prefer a Netflix style video delivery where all episodes released at once. Uh, Let's see. He, He actually basically what he's saying, he actually prefers the daily rollout because... He gets to talk about it with his friends on a daily basis because he's got a couple of buddies. He's got two friends that he does uh, 
um, judo with. So every day when there's a new video, they they all discuss it, they practice it or whatever. I think that's really cool. And I think that that viewpoint makes a lot of sense. Uh, so I, I, I appreciate the email. Again, just offering a different perspective. I agree that Superstar Judo isn't perfect. Oh, by the way, I was very surprised to get a lot of messages um, directly to my email and some on some on Facebook and such. I was expecting that people were going to really take exception to my criticism of the site layout, but apparently this is not a a a unique complaint. As a matter of fact, Fighting Films responded to me directly about it that that they are looking to do in the future a revamp of the site, and I I think you know like I said in my last podcast I think that is much needed. But I do think, as a as a whole, it's it's a must have for for anybody who who is interested in 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 that service. It's it's definitely worth the price, despite the 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 layouts to it. Got another email on the Superstar Judo podcast. He actually disagreed um, with with me on the. Uh, he he said I disagree with you about the lack of attention to information for low level players. There are plenty of sites for them. Uh, Neil Adams has at least two sites for basic judo. It's good to see a site aimed at competitors to try higher level judo. Okay, I, I agree with that. I, I I mean, I get what you're saying. Um, he, he goes on to say, just as there are judo books that, that aren't for beginners and classes not aimed for beginners or low intermediate players, a look at the free demo should, should let a beginner know that this is not for them. I would say that the information is useful for serious competitors EQ and up who are competing at local or regional levels. Okay, you know what? That that's a fair disagreement. I appreciate your email, uh, anonymous emailer. Um, he actually agrees with me. He also had, hates waiting for days for the complete sequence of the new techniques. So, so there, there's some mixed bag reactions, but overall, it's 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 great to get some some email regarding um, you know, my last podcast and and some of the things discussed. Uh, about superstar judo i i get what he's saying so i i guess what i think for superstar judo since this is all neil i I assume neil adams fighting films superstar judo this is all a neil adams thing maybe i'm wrong on that i always assume that neil adams kind of sort of owned uh, fighting films maybe that's not true but neil adams has his own effective fighting website where he offers products and such but Apparently, he's got a subscription site as well that offers the Goku, um, which which demonstrates uh, all the techniques at a basic level. But but it would appear that well, I know that's for a fact that Superstar Judo also has the entire Goku, um, which for those who may not do Judo, Goku is 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 a classification of forty Judo techniques. It's not all the it's not all the Judo techniques, but it's it's uh, called the Goku Nawaza. It's it's basically uh, a, a list of 40 different throws. Um, I, I don't know them all off the top of my head, but I know if I was asked to demonstrate each one of those, I, and I, I have said this before, once you get to a first degree black belt, or that's called a shodan, you should be able to demonstrate the entire Gokyo, in my opinion. Even even if, if your all of your throws in the Gokyo are not very good, you should be able to at least demonstrate them at a basic level. That's my opinion. So anyway... Um, I am like you, a showdown that assists training at local club level. Regards. Okay, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for your email. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you know that in, who exactly I'm talking about. The last email I'm going to read came from somebody who requested the email uh, be anonymous, so I'm not going to read this person's name, but I'll, I'll read the email and, 
and, and try and give this person the whatever advice he needs. So here goes. Goes, hi, Dave. I need some advice about something and I'm hoping you can help me out. Lately, me and my girlfriend haven't been getting along very well. She's been working a lot of late hours and every time I ask her about her job, she's very vague with the details. She seems to be getting a lot of text messages lately and when I ask her about it, she blows me off. There was this one time when her phone was next to me while she was in the other room. It rang and I answered because I didn't recognize the initials on the contact. It was some guy's voice who abruptly said, oh, uh, wrong number, bye. I asked her about this DJ, which was the initials on the caller ID, and she started screaming at me to never touch her phone again. She stormed out of the house only to come ha- back home past midnight. I was thinking about all of this during my last Rondori session when my training partner hit me with this beautiful drop Sayanagi. What do you think is the best way to counter this drop Sayanagi? Thanks. You're welcome, and thank you for the email. Um, now, it, for drop Sayanagi, which it's it's actually most of the time it's drop Sayoyatoshi, or or just Sayoyatoshi. A lot of a lot of people think it's drop Sayanagi, but but drop Sayanagi and drop Sayoyatoshi are two. When people say drop Sayanagi, they really mean drop. They really mean Sayoyatoshi. Anyway, my best counter for drop Sayanagi. Or for for this technique, let's just call it that way, that nobody yells at me. Um, which I'm gonna get to another part uh, there in a minute. Um, there is a technique that I do. It's almost, and I hate using the name because people are gonna say, "Oh, it's not uranagi. It's it's this throw, whatever." All right, whatever. When somebody drops on me, and it's in they, and I have, I'm, I'm maintaining a standard lapel. Uh, sleeve lapel grip. There's two things that I do. Sometimes if they miss it and I can get out of the way quick enough and I have my hand deep on their lapel, they do the they do the throw, they miss it, and they end up in a turtle position. Well, from there I do this technique. It's in jujitsu they call it a clock choke. I don't know what you call it in judo. It's probably some I don't know. I'm not even gonna try. But I do the, I do the clock choke from uh, from a turtle position, and that's one thing that I do. If you don't know what a, cho- a clock choke is, I would highly suggest you look it up on YouTube because it's very hard for me to express what I do in terms of techniques in a meaningful way that you would understand. So just look up clock choke in judo. The second technique that I typically do in this situation when somebody drops on me is I rotate to their front while maintaining a lapel grip or, or mostly to the front. I, I then grab their belt or, or in the lower back of their of their uh, uh, judogi, but not below the belt. I either grab a bit, uh, at the belt or a little bit above the belt, and I actually lift them up and twist, do this motion as if I was doing uh, ordinagi, but it's not really ordinagi. It's it's more like a it's more like a sacrifice slash counter technique. Hard to describe. I'll link the video. Put out uh, or a video put out by Matt Diacchino. This is a technique I learned from the Fighting Films video featuring Koga. I learned this years ago. It's an old video, and this is a technique that I once I saw him demonstrate this in that it's it's been my go-to technique for drop Sayoi Otoshi or or 
sand or, or any type of throws where people get really low and they try to get their center of gravity underneath mine. I try and move out of the way and do that. Um, it can be, it can take a while to practice, but I honestly, un, unless you're blazing fast, this is this is a technique that has served me well for many years. And even at my age and my 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 physical abilities declining a bit, I can still get this technique off and and land a score on it. Now, granted, I don't really compete anymore, so this is really in Rondori. So I very I haven't. Gosh, it's been years since somebody actually caught me with drop Sayanagi when I was trying. Doesn't mean that I'm so great that nobody can catch me. It's just, it's just. I, I, it's been a while since I've caught the people that I play with who are better than me. Uh, typically, don't do drop Sainagi. That's really what I'm trying to say. Uh, and um, so it's it's been quite a while since I've been caught with that. I I, I get caught with plenty of things all the time, but that that throw when I'm when I'm really paying attention and I'm I'm really trying to work hard and run Dory. I I very rarely get caught with that throw, and that's that's my go-to technique. That pickup and and i also have the like i said the clock choke now the earlier the earlier uh comments and you know i've received some messages about this travis stevens's ama now i said it before who travis stevens is he did an ama which is again ask me anything on the brazilian jiu-jitsu subreddit now he talked a lot about judo he talked a lot about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, he talked about a lot about his experiences in the Olympics. There are points that I want to bring up, a couple of points, highlight points. I'm not going to read the entire AMA, AMA because it's it's just way, way too much to cover. But of course, one of the top comments, it, it this, this is so predictable. The, the lightning rod of judo topics. It, it, it is, it just, you, you talk, you say this one word and... People get all up in arms. Heck, if I put this, if I would have put two words, did two specific words in this uh, podcast header, I guarantee 10% higher than uh, normal listeners. All you have to say is leg grabs and, and you got people flocking all over the place for for uh, to, to chime in their opinions. So one of the top comments in this AMA, what do you think about leg grab ban and judo? Now, to my surprise, this was his response. He said, I like the rule. I think it forces athletes who live in less developed countries like the United States. I'm assuming he means less developed judo countries. Let's see. Who live in less developed countries like the United States to not take, a e- not take the easy road and actually learn judo and not focus so much on a move that they can easily score with when they were a teenager. That's a hilarious and straightforward response, in my opinion, because it kind of goes along with everything that I have said over the past couple of podcasts and everything that I've said over the past few years when it comes to leg grabs in judo. I would prefer to have them in judo, but I get why the IGF made that rule. I don't believe it's coming back. And like I've said many times before, the athletes adjusted uh, very quickly to that rule. And I was very surprised at Travis's response, but it goes to show you that for somebody who competed at the highest of levels, that he recognizes that the importance of developing a style of judo that is not dependent on leg grabs. And 
I said it before, and I, I really believe this, that if your judo truly depended on leg grabs solely, you you really need to be, evaluate where your judo development is. Now, this rule has been in effect for seven plus years. I have to believe that anybody that was complaining about leg grabs seven years ago, that their judo has developed and they're very good. But the person, it's, it's, it's odd, and this is just my opinion. It's as if the person who asked that question was really waiting to get an answer that they were. I, I really believe that a lot of people who voted that up and the person who asked that question was expecting a different response. And that way, with that different response, it would give them an opening to be very critical of the rule again and, and start up debate or anything like that. And to my surprise, there was... There was no follow-up in, in that particular thread of, well, in Travis's AMA. Nobody asked a follow-up question about that because, hey, if Travis Stevens says it's good, it's it's probably a good thing. Now, look, I know a lot of people are going to take exception to that. Look, I prefer the leg grabs in judo. They should be in there. I've, I've been very cr- vocal about how I believe the IJF should correct that. I don't want to talk about leg grabs. This is not going to be a leg grab podcast, but... I wanted to get that particular response out of the way because I thought it was very interesting. There was another question that was asked that I thought was very interesting. And I, um, I, I, so the question here is, do you think judo has a chance to maintain older athletes? It seems that they are all starting to gravitate toward BJJ, which, you know, which is something I've talked about uh, before, which I'm guessing it's because it's so much easier on the body. Similarly, do you think judo has any chance of attracting more young athletes in the U.S. seeing how BJJ is a lot higher profile and chances of making a living doing judo are almost non-existent? Travis's response was, yeah, judo school owners need to get off their ass and start working for themselves. If you're charging less than $100 a month for judo, you should shut down your school or revamp your membership rates. I don't care how many students you have. I care about the paying students. If they can afford a gi, they can afford to pay. Judo coaches need to start treating it like a job and not some give back program. Now, there are some things that I agree with that in that statement, but there's a lot I disagree with. I mean, come on. If you can afford a gi, you can afford to pay. Now, people can save up over the course of several months to buy a judogi but to commit more than a hundred dollars a month is to have that blanket statement considering how large this country is is i i think very short-sighted in my opinion i i mean i i just think that's that's such a shocking take and it, it in my opinion it goes to show you how far away he is from the regular judo population compared to the elite people that he's around on a regular basis. Now, his coach is Jimmy Pedro, at least certainly one of his coaches. And Jimmy Pedro, who is who is up in, uh, let's see, Wakefield, Massachusetts, which to me, and I said this before, I, I actually said this in, in a post on Reddit, but Wakefield is practically a suburb of Boston, Massachusetts. And in Boston... You can charge $100, $150 a month. Heck, Jimmy Pedro could probably charge $250 a month for judo and he would get that money because, I mean, look, it's Jimmy Pedro. But 
in in a lot of other places that are not anywhere like Boston or anywhere near Boston, you're not going to get charged, be able to charge those rates and get a lot of students, especially if you're you're only having classes two or three times a week. It's it's just not gonna it's not gonna happen. I just I I don't know where he was really going with that, and and of course these type of AMAs on Reddit are not the ideal place for a, a, an exchange of dialogue and ideas. Maybe he meant something else. Now, I do think a coach can charge a hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, you know, a hundred, a hundred and fifty dollars a month, and and be a judo instructor as a living, but it can't be the only thing. Somebody who charges those kind of rates needs to be a full time judo coach, and not just run. And I'm not talking about full time judo coach in terms of having classes every single day of of the week. That's not what I mean. I mean this coach is somebody who's who can charge those prices. In my opinion, they've got to be a nutritionist. In my opinion, they've got to be somebody who is a personal trainer, somebody who understands, you know, strength and conditioning at a scientific level, uh, somebody who will be there on call 24-7 for their clients. And then, you know, between, you know, then you can dedicate that kind of time. So really, in my opinion, in order to be able to charge $100 or more a month for judo or, you know, $150, $200 a month for judo, you have to be something different than your typical judo sensei. Your sensei. You have to be a full-time committed person to being a coach. And, and being a full-time coach involves so many other things. Looking at uh, looking at competition films, scouting opponents, helping your your students, waking up at or all hours of the morning to to get your students to train and your elite athletes to train. That's what it takes. But many people who teach judo are regular guys like you and me that that just that can't. I, I look. I know with my judo experience, unless I was a full time strength and conditioning coach and nutritionist and such. There's no way I could charge that kind of price a, a month for judo unless you know, unless I was offering five days a week. And, and that's the thing with Travis is that in his life, those are the type of people that he's around. But everyday people, I mean, there are a lot of old judo clubs out there. So... According to Travis Stevens, they should just shut their doors and go home. I, I think that's absurd. And I, I don't think it takes into account a lot of people who really have dedicated their lives to teaching judo and, and, and helping other students. Uh, now, in, in according, so hey, Jonah out in Oakland judo, hey, if you're not charging 100 bucks a month, go ahead and shut your doors. You're wasting everybody's time. I mean, come on, that's absurd. And I'm just using Jonah as an example. He's got a great program out in Oakland. If you're out in Oakland, go visit him. He's he's he seems like a very nice fellow. And he's oh, you know, speaking of which, Jonah, I love the video that you posted. And <laughs> something that that's a little pet peeve of mine, and I understand why it happens. It's so funny to me how when people post videos up on YouTube. Of techniques that work for them in competition, techniques that they teach their students. 
For some reason, Judoka as a whole gets so caught up with the name of the throw. And I don't care. I, I, I personally don't care. You know, Jonah put up this, this video up uh, demonstrating. I'm not even going to say the name of the technique because I'm probably going to get it wrong. People say it's say it's not you know Yoko. To- I, I don't care. It, he demonstrated this pretty cool technique that looked effective. And sometimes debates can happen online. Uh, this was very common in the old judo forum where somebody would post a technique. And they'd be like, oh, hey, that's a great uh, that's a great Uchimata. And then people could be coming in like, oh, no, that's really Hanegoshi. Because did you see where he stepped compared to where his leg went and, and the angle of attack and the way he used his hands? It was at this angle, not this angle. You, they break it down. And I understand that there's a there's a time and a place to correct people who are maybe mistakenly get a technique wrong. I so a lot of times I see in competition somebody uh, I mean a high-ranking judoka, you know, one of the the voices of judo, Loretta Cusack Doyle. She's she when you've listened to the IJF feeds, uh the live broadcasts, she she's that's the lady who does a lot of the commenting. She's a she's an eighth don in judo. I mean, she's she's forgotten more judo than I'll ever know. But sometimes if if one competitor throws another competitor with with what looks technically to be ukigoshi she'll say oh what a splendid ogoshi and she'll do that in that wonderful british accent i which i can't mimic she'll she'll call it ogoshi when it's really uchigoshi i mean ukigoshi there are people out there that would chime in on the comment oh loretta that's really ukigoshi not ogoshi it doesn't matter it's it's it was a throw that's why that's why a lot of times when you hear her comment, she just says, oh, brilliant turnover to the hold down because she's not going to use the Japanese names because people get up and all and up in arms saying, oh, that's not Keisakatami. That's really Kuzuri Keisakatami. I mean, come on. Stop it. There's no need to get all up in arms about the name of the technique. So Jonah put out a great video. It's something that I'm going to uh, teach the students in my class. I think it's it's a worthwhile technique to teach and I want to thank him for doing that. I think it's it's a great thing, and we need more of that out there to to get the, some of the average folk and 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 the people who are committing their lives to teaching judo. I I want to hear from you via via email, you know, or Twitter at La Vida Judoka, or but if not on on there, go go ahead and post videos on YouTube. Let me see what you do. I'll get to that eventually. I'm I'm sure I will at some point, and then. Everybody can laugh at me and say, oh, Dave, your judo really sucks. I had no idea how bad you were. Why do you have a podcast? Yeah, I can't wait for that email. So anyway, one last thing I wanted to cover about the AMA. He actually answered my question. Uh, I asked I asked Travis, or I stated the following, Ronda Rousey has been critical of USA Judo and their lack of funding for U.S. Judo athletes. She has not been alone in her criticism of UA, USA Judo. Do you feel you were adequately supported by USA Judo? And if not, how were you financially supported through your Judo career? Travis responded, I don't know how she was supported or not supported, so I can't speak for her. I'm not even sure what she is complaining about, but as far as I go, I made enough money to support myself and buy the things I needed with that said, uh, buy the things that I needed. With that said, my money and my support comes from the USOC, not USA Judo. USA Judo is just the middleman. Now, I thought that was a really interesting response. 
I guess I had a different understanding of how USA Judo supports and supports the athletes. Now, if USA Judo is not giving any money from the fees that they things that they get from the USOC or or maybe even the IOC, well, what how, what do they really do? I'm I'm kind of left wondering. Now, I know for a ham and agger like myself, when I submit my fees to USA Judo, all I'm really paying for is the insurance in case I break my neck doing judo or and and I'm also paying to have the my rank recognized as an active member. But I I see very little benefit as an end as a person on a, on a day to day basis for for me being a USA Judo member. I don't I don't actually see a direct benefit. Now it would seem that tra- with Travis he's he, he's not seeing a direct benefit either. I don't I don't want to put words in his mouth, but you know I. I thought it was an interesting response. If if there's anybody out there that can shed light on how USA Judo supports their athletes or how they should support their athletes, please reach out to me because it's been my understanding that USA Judo does not have a very good track record when it comes to taking care of their finances. Now, their new CEO put out this, this uh, video a couple of weeks ago on how he's going to change the course of direction for USA Judo because apparently the the former guy there was a lot of uh questionable practices going on with the, with the money coming into USA Judo. So again, if anybody can shed any insight to me about that, please let me know. I, I would love to, to to have a better understanding of that. I read a news story on my favorite judo website that's out there. No, it's not IJF.org. It's judoinside.com. And let me tell you, before I get to the story, Hans came through with the water bottle. I I I he sent me a picture and he's sending me something else. I, I want to surprise the you guys, the listeners, with the other thing that he sent me. I, I can't wait to receive this water bottle and this other gift. I cannot believe the generosity that Hans of judoinside.com has shown me you know what started off as a gag in kind of a kind of a little joke. I mean, I was serious about wanting a water bottle. I was willing to pay for it. He's shipping me the water bottle and and it's no cost to me and he's shipping me something else and I don't want to give it away because I want to I want you guys to see what it is and I'll I'll use that as my podcast or my episode cover art when I receive it. But he came through. I'm getting the water bottle, and, and I can't wait. I can't wait to take it with me to 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 on dates with my wife, to to restaurants, to movie theaters, to my work. I, I in my car. I I can't wait to take this JudoInside.com water bottle. It's it's just I'm so pumped up about it. So anyway, I read this story on JudoInside.com. The headline goes. Policy, sh- policy shift aligns Japan with international standard on black belts. What does that mean? I'll read it for you. Female judoka in Japan are finally on equal footing with their male counterparts. Able to don the same black belt the All Japan Judo Federation ruled on Monday. That That's just... That's... Congratulations for catching up to the 21st century AJJF. Uh, look... I'm sure 
99% of the people who are in the AJJF and in Japan feel that the women should have been wearing straight up black belts all their lives. Not not the black belt with the white stripe. I mean that I'm sure there was probably a couple of holdouts that are like 70 years old that wanted to keep tradition and stuff. But uh, so I'm not really being critical of Japan or the AJJF. I'm being critical of those hard to convince people that they finally turned the page on what I thought was a, a, a stupid practice. So let me continue with the article. The Federation's executive board agreed to abolish black belts with white stripes that have differentiated female competitors from males in its competitions held inside Japan. Both women and men will be donning black belts without the stripes from now on in domestic tournaments. The practice of issuing judo uniforms differentiating gender has long been criticized as sexist, and I agree with that. Stripe belts have not been used in international competitions since 1999 when the IJF abolished the practice. Good for them. No official reason has been given for the organization's change in stance. A likely explanation, though, is the continued success of Japanese women's Olympic judo team whose medal count since the 1992 games currently sits at 32. Two better than the 30 medals claimed by Japanese male judoka in that time frame. Women's athletics and athletes have also been receiving increasingly prominent media coverage in Japan since the turn of the millennium, and in light of such developments, it seems the All Japan Judo Federation took a moment to re-examine why it had set, why it had two sets of uniform regulations, and decided that the discrepancy was a relic of a bygone era. Yeah, bygone era, like maybe 1945, the same era when women were supposed to be the homemakers and and cooking dinner for their man and rearing the children while all oh, that's like like uh like like a <laughs> an old episode of mad men or something actually that took place in the 1960s but you get what i mean um so congratulations to the ajjf to catching up with the 21st century i think that's really great i once met a lady from japan it was a really odd experience she came to my dojo um Gosh, this would have been eight years ago or so, eight or nine years ago. She was not Japanese. Her husband was. And she had, I believe they call the belt the, Joshi, the, the Yoshi belt. It's a black belt with a white stripe. She was a either a Sandan or a Yodan. And it was a really odd experience. She only came twice, but her husband would not allow her to Rondori with any men. So she would not be allowed to Rondori with me. And thankfully at the time, my, my judo coach, his, his daughter, who I've talked about, whom I've talked about before, was an active uh, uh, practice partner. So she was able to do Rondori with this lady. And truthfully, I honestly, I didn't think her judo was all that good, to be honest, for somebody who's a Sandan. Now, I know in Japan, they have different standards for, for their ranking and, and, and Yodan is typically the the, the rank that separates um, the instructors from from people who are just practicing or whatever. I I'm not trying to be critical. I was just trying to express that I was surprised at her skill level for somebody who was a Sandan. I don't know. I didn't know her history. She only came a handful of times, maybe two or three times tops. But it was the first time I saw somebody 
a, a lady wear that belt. She was not, and like I said, she was not Japanese. She almost looked uh, like almost uh, maybe a little Hawaiian of sorts. She, she had a, a, a unique mix. Maybe she was uh, half Japanese. That's quite possible. I, I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It was my only experience with somebody uh, training with a female from Japan. And I didn't get to train with her. I, she didn't throw me once. I didn't throw her once. She just would. She was not allowed to do rondore with me. Maybe some of you people out there who are far male, who are well traveled, more well traveled than I certainly am, can explain to me how women in judo in Japan are treated. I have no idea. I can't speak to it. But in regards to this story on judoinside.com, which is a website all of you should be visiting. The AJJF has abolished this, this uh, as they put it, relic of a bygone era. I think that's a perfect way to put it. So good on them. I'm glad to see that happen. Last weekend was the Baku Grand Slam over in Baku, Azerbaijan. Hopefully I got that name right. Actually, I know I got that name right this time. As you can hear the theme music for, for Azerbaijan. The, not the theme music, the national anthem. I take that back. So last week was... The IJF's second Grand Slam tournament of the calendar year. And I thought it was a pretty good tournament. I didn't watch every fight. Like I said, I, I tend to try and watch from the semifinals on up. There definitely were there definitely were not as many participants as there has been in, in years past. Now, some of my initial thoughts when uh, about this Grand Slam was there's a lot of empty seats in that arena. It was a pretty sizable arena, but... A lot of empty seats in, on, on television, or, or really I watched it on YouTube since it was a live stream. A lot of empty seats. It makes me wonder what kind of prices people have to pay to get into these events. In 2008, 2009, the IJF actually came to Miami. Um, it had a pretty sizable tournament there in Miami. And I recall the ticket prices were kind of high for for this particular tournament. Now, Kind of high for a IJF event to me is is uh, $50. Now, $50 US dollars isn't a ton of money, but there's a lot of people that can go to to baseball games and, and hockey games and even, even the cheap seats in NFL games for less than 50 bucks. So I was very surprised at the price of the tickets when they were in Miami. So... Maybe over in Azerbaijan, and that was years ago. And maybe ticket prices today uh, outprice the, what the what the market will bear. So I have no idea what the prices are. I was surprised to see a lot of empty seats, considering that Azerbaijan is is a fairly strong judo country. They had a, they had a very good turnout. Well, obviously they had a tour, turnout. It's practically a home field advantage, so they had the most competitors. In this particular tournament, but they, um, I thought Azerbaijan had a good showing. They're a pretty good judo country. They they always show up well in the major events. Granted, maybe not like Japan or or even France, but they showed up pretty well. So, um, yeah, there were a lot of empty seats. So it, it just uh, it just caught me off guard. Now. I know a lot of you guys find some benefit to the statistics, so I'm going to break this down very quickly. I want to break down the men's and, and the women's. So when it comes to the men's, there were 130 total contests. 
64 of those contests ended in Ippon, excluding Hansokumaki. And 28 of those matches were Ippon wins via Hansokumaki. So, in the entire scope of the men's division, when it comes to Ippon, uh, of including all Ippon wins, where you're talking about excluding Hansukumaki or including Hansukumaki, 70% of all of the contests of, of, of 130 were won by Ippon. Now, if you exclude all of the matches that... Uh, if you exclude the Hansukumaki matches and just have the matches that were what I call, and I've been calling it pure Ippon, a contest decided by the fighters uh, on whether it's it's through a throw, a choke, or an armbar, only 49% of those wins were by a pure Ippon. Now, c- contrast that with the women's. Now, there were less uh, contests in the, in, in the women's divisions all through, throughout the uh, seven divisions. And so, so out of, there were 93 total contests. And out of those, 59 of those contests ended in Ippon, not with a Hansukumaki, and only 14 of those wins ended uh, with Hansukumaki. So that that leaves uh, 78% of the total matches were won by Ippon if you include Hansukumaki. And an, an outstanding 63% of the wins in all of, throughout the entire women's division were won by Pure Ippon. Now... I speculated last week, I said it jokingly, like, what does this mean? It means that the, the, the women cheat less than men. But, and, and that was a joke. But to be honest, what I think this really means to me anyway is if you're looking for what the IJF wants to see in terms of competitive judo, the women's divisions are where it's at. I mean, 63% of what I call pure Ippon wins so basically, the fighters are deciding the contest and not left up to to Hansokumakis and Shidos uh, and things like that. So, really, the trend that I have noticed in the three major tournaments this year, we're talking about Paris, Dusseldorf, and now Baku, is that the women are winning matches almost uh, at a, at least a sixty percent clip um, in terms of Puri Pawn. So. I think that's really interesting. I can't begin to explain why that is, why the women are getting more Ippon versus the men. And I don't want to hear that it's because the men are stronger, but because these are elite athletes regardless, whether you're talking about elite men or elite women. It's not like, obviously, there aren't intergender matches or anything like that. So we're talking the best of the best in both men and women. So I'm not sure why there is such a large discrepancy we're talking about a 14% difference in the men's division versus the women's division. Um, 14% higher in the women's division when it comes to pure Ippon. And and when it comes to total Ippon, we're looking at uh, 78% of the contests uh, won by women, Like and like I said before, compared to 70% for the men. Again, if, if any of you guys have an idea why that may be the case, please let me know. I'd be curious to hear your, your, your uh, theories on that. Now, I want to run down some of the notable matches that were in this tournament. And I, what I've decided to do this time around is, is given the matches that I actually watched, I want to pick one match in, in pretty much every weight division, unless they were two that were really, really notable. I want to 
I want to go through this briefly. I'll link all of this in the description in, of the podcast. So, and I'll link directly to the matches so you guys can just click on the the podcast notes and, and go see the matches for yourselves. In the under 60 kilogram division, I would, uh, Gurchev of Bulgaria defeated uh, Kuzbaev of Kazakhstan with a beautiful Uranagi. It's a great match, but just uh, skip to the end. And like, like I said, I'll link it. Under 66 kilos, beautiful display of judo by Takato of, of Japan. And, and in this particular match that I'm highlighting, he defeated Gambold of Mongolia. He In this match, you get to see a beautiful Koji Makikomi and a, and a really nice Sayanagi. It's, it's must-see TV for sure. Moving on in under in the under seventy three kilo division, Gan Batar of Mongolia defeated uh, Valiev of Azerbaijan with a beautifully pawned best match ever. You got to see this one. This one is one of those that's definitely worth worth seeing the entire match. In the other 80, under eighty one kilo division, you got Kohara of Japan, uh, Japan defeating Ungvari of Hungary with a beautiful Dayashi Barai. Again, another best match ever. You got to watch that one. And in uh, another match that was really lively in this particular division was um, Moleye uh, of Iran defeating Atgan Batar of Mongolia. It ended in, in, in an Osaikomi, but I watched the entire thing. It was just one of those really e- entertaining matches. Now, normally when I go through the must-see TVs or the best match ever, I'm, I'm talking about matches that you have that high-flying judo, that that bone-rattling ipon, but there were other plenty of great wins that ended in Osaikomi, Shimewaza, Kansetsuwaza. They were wins in this tournament, but those when I want to see judo, I'm, I'm looking at the the high-flying stuff. Uh, the, so, but this particular match that I'm highlighting, um, uh, the Iranian defeating the the Mongolian, it, it was really entertaining. Just just a lot of high energy there. Let's see. The under 100 kilo division, impressive victory by Palchik of, of Israel versus uh, Minigan of Estonia by way of Osotogari. Uh, nice Kiai at the end too. It's must-see TV for sure. And I must say, Israel had a very good day today. Uh, Tal Flicker won his division. And it, now while, while his gold medal winning match wasn't anything... Um, exciting to watch it was still a very good day for israel as a whole that they really that that country in particular stuck out as well as uh obviously japan and azerbaijan stuck out to me as well but but israel was a surprise for today for me anyway um oh over 100 kilogram division gold medal winning uh match by tushiavili of georgia defeating Bor of hungary and i i gotta tell you this this match is amazing performance Best match ever! You gotta see it, and it's just it's just really dominating performance. This this guy, if if he isn't great already, which I'm sure he is, he's going to be great in this division for years to come. Just a fantastic performance. I look, I I haven't been watching the IJF over the past several years, so I may not know all of these guys. Maybe these guys have already been dominating for quite some time, but. Tushiavili was just phenomenal, and he's he's going to be a guy that I'm going to be looking out for, um, in 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 the in the in the year to come for sure. Now, in the, on the women's side, in the under 57 kilo division, Koelek of Poland defeated Prudencio of Brazil with a very impressive Ouichigari. 
Let's see. Under 63 kilo, you got uh, Kedi Poglu of Turkey defeating Akhandova of Azerbaijan with a splendid Ogoshi. Or is it Ukigoshi? You decide because I really don't care. It's one of those throws that some people can debate. It's Ogoshi. Some people can debate it's Ukigoshi. Doesn't matter. She threw it and landed on her back. The end. Great match. Worth watching. Must see TV for sure. In the under 70 kilo division, impressive win by Matic of Croatia against uh, Bekatsky <laughs> oh, here we go. Bekatsky of Kazakhstan with a Ken Ken Uchimata. Uh, splendid thud on the throw, reverberated throughout the entire arena. Everybody heard it. Everybody went, ooh, and ah. Great throw, must see match for sure. Let's see, moving on, uh, under 78 kilo division. Uh, Steen Huys of the Netherlands defeated her countryman, uh, Verkirk of the Netherlands via Osaikomi. But I got to tell you, maybe you guys can watch this match and chime in and help me out. How in the world did her Harai Goshi not score Ipon there? And if you can help me out and explain that to me, please let me know. Because it's one of those really few blown calls by the ref. Now, I think the ref called, called Wazari on that. And and she won via Osaikomi, but man, how how did she not get Ipon right there? How how is that even a question? Um uh, Steenhus also had a really nice Ipon earlier in the day against uh Han Haznali of Azerbaijan as well. I'll I'll link that. And finally, last but certainly not least, in the over seventy eight kilo division, a really nice throw by Iramaka of the Ukraine against uh Jablonskyde of Lithuania. Um now I would th- call this throw Ashiguruma. You guys take a look at it and you guys tell me what you kind of what you guys think this throw is. I'd be curious to hear your opinions. I called it Ashiguruma. I'm probably wrong. My point is she threw, the girl landed on her back, match over, Ipon. Great victory regardless. So I will link I know I ran through that pretty quickly. I'm gonna link all of those matches. And I'd love to hear you guys chime in if you if you like the way that I re- broke down the matches this time versus other times, let me know how you would prefer for me to break. Because I'm going to keep breaking down the matches. I've received a few messages from people expressing uh, their gratitude that I do this. Because look, there's a, you know, you you got you know over 200 matches, 300 matches, some tournaments is 500 matches. You can't watch them all. You want to see the high flying stuff. At least most people do anyway. I'm I've still yet to hear from the person who says, "Yeah, man, that 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 match that ended in that Hansukumaki was awesome. He pushed him out of bounds and the way he pushed him out of bounds, his technique and the grip fight." Like I've yet to receive that email. So, unless you guys want to hear that, I like covering the big throws. So, let me know if if you prefer for me to break down these matches in a certain way. I I kind of like breaking down the a, a single match in a particular division, I, I want to highlight the best of the best. And I think the way that I did it here, I kind of like it. But if you prefer me to do it the other way or, or a different way, please let me know. Shoot me an email. Again, as a reminder, it's judochopsuishow at gmail.com. Well, I think I've rambled on long enough for this particular podcast. I've enjoyed doing this. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. I will definitely be back next week behind this microphone to talk all things judo. I'm curious to see what goes on in the judo world. I'm not sure if there is going to be a major IJF tournament. I have not looked at the calendar. I don't think there is. Um, I think the next tournament is in... 
Tzibili or Tzibili or something like that. Uh, don't don't shoot don't shoot me. I, I'm sorry if I didn't get that right. I really haven't looked at the IGF calendar in about a week and a half, so I'm really not sure. So if somebody wants to point it out to me and yell at me for getting the name wrong, go right ahead. Feel free to tweet at me and, and insult me with your best insult. I I would love that. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I hope you have a great rest of the week. I hope all your wildest dreams come true. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style.